Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's the Euro Digest here on Football Digest. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Portugal on the end of a mauling in Munich. Spain stutter once more and tonight Wales look to pull off a Roman conquest of their own to top Group A. Here to impart wisdom and knowledge on today's edition of the Euro Digest, we have the Chief Sports Writer at the Sunday People, Neil Moxley, and Warren Muggleton from the Daily Stars Sports Desk. Gentlemen, I hope you're both well. Neil, I'll come to you first and we'll get straight into the events in Munich, the highest scoring game so far of Euro 2020. Germany only scored two goals, but still ran out 4-2 winners. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well uh, an absolutely yes. Stand. I think everybody looking at this might have thought, following the uh, Germans' uh, defeat to France, that it'd be a bit of a cagey affair. Couldn't have been further from the truth, really, to be honest, could it? I mean, I think that the, the whole uh, game was helped by the fact that the uh, the first goal was scored in the first, you know, 15, 15 minutes into it. And then basically Germany had to show the hand, didn't they? And uh, boy, did they. Um Quite interesting, really. You know, thinking back to a preview I did with Mark Hughes, and he talked about you know one asking to name somebody he thought who might be under the radar and um, who might come good at this, and he picked Kai Havertz, which I thought was a strange choice at the time because um, <clears throat> because obviously Havertz is a known quantity. You can't be an unknown quantity if you're moving to Chelsea for ninety million pounds. But you know, it's just uh, it's just whether or not we've seen the best of him. And and, and to be honest with you, you know. He looks like a decent uh, shot if, if Germany progressed for, for the golden boot in the tournament. So, yeah, it was a thoroughly impressive uh, fight back. And um, I know it's a hackneyed, cliched phrase, but, you know, never right off the Germans. And, and yesterday just demonstrated why, really. Yeah, no, I was quite happy yesterday, actually, on the podcast to write off the Germans, sort of saying it's the name of the side. I maybe owe them an apology. But uh, Warren, looking at them, and as Neil said, even within sort of that opening 10 minutes, Robin Gerson's had that effort chalked off. But I thought here at left wing back, it was sort of a, an exhibition of how to play that kind of system. Kimmich and Gerson's were absolutely brilliant. They were super. It's the ultimate redemption story as well. When you consider the whole Atalanta, Juventus, not swapping the shirt in Cristiano Ronaldo, coming in, putting in the performance of his life, I'd say, in that respect. It's funny because when you look at the Portugal stats in terms of how they attack the goal, there's not a great deal of difference to what they did against Hungary. And yet they just look, they still look second best across the park. And that's like you say, it's because of the way the Germans played that game. They spread it out wide so often. And when it came to that final third, they just had that little bit more clinicalness than the Portuguese, I'd say. Yeah, no, most definitely. And we, we started to see a fair few decent goals now. Obviously, we, we completed sort of the first two rounds of, of matches, Neil. We obviously had Schick's goal up at hand and probably is going to be the goal of the tournament. Renato Sanchez nearly took the net off yesterday. But that opening goal for Portugal and just the, the sheer speed of the counter was something quite brilliant itself. Yeah, well, obviously, you've got uh, Chris, when you've got Cristiano Ronaldo, who keeps in your ranks, who keeps defying um, uh, the laws of ageing, um, to, to sprint from, from front to back as quickly as he did. 
Um, you know, it, it, like I say, it was a it was a, a fantastic effort, wasn't it? It really was. It was counter attack attacking at its, at its finest. It's one of those moments where if you were going on a course and you, somebody said, "What's counter attacking football?" You just play that clip, and and it would pretty much you know explain itself, wouldn't it? I'm, I have to say just very quickly, and I'm slightly coming off topic. I thought Emma Hayes made a really good point actually on on when she was doing the uh, punditry last night on ITV. She said that. She said that she was surprised that Portugal didn't try and stem the flow a bit more. Um, and in that respect, it was strange to see Fernando Santos not taking some sort of proactive, act, uh, you know, proactive action and trying at least to match the Germans up to stop the flow when he when he realised the game might have been slipping away from them because they ran right down the down the flanks. And the least that uh, Santos could have done was was a match was to go man for man and match them up and to try to try and change the course of the game but she it was it was interesting to hear a coach's voice um you know on on, on the problems that Portugal were facing actually yesterday I thought and I thought I, I quite like the quite like what Emma Hayes was saying I think she's 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 got a, quite a good future as a pundit if she wants to carry on yeah and no, I think she's been one of the one of the better pundits of of the tournament thus far but in terms of that Warren and just sort of looking at Portugal's setup of course they, they won the tournament five years ago and they were quite Sort of stingy, I suppose. They they were tight in the midfield. They they were lacking imagination at times. Obviously, drew all three of their group games and yet got through. And yet, as as Neil says, there and the point Emma Hayes makes was they never changed the shape to try and match Germany up with the wing backs, and they were just getting stretched all over the pitch. And then Germany just capitalising right at the last. Yeah, hundred percent. Is it very interesting that you say? It makes me wonder whether Portugal are perhaps a one-dimensional team. They've got this sort of focus on just trying to get it out to that midfield as soon as possible and just get Ronaldo running. It it does make you worry, but like we said, you you can never ever rule Portugal out. They could go against France and just pull off a stunning victory, especially after what happened in Budapest as well. I, it's it will be a hard result to take, I think, for Portugal, but I think they'll they'll back themselves enough to know that. They're very likely, I think, to go into the knockout stages, whatever happens. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Let's get on to events in Budapest then. Hungary drawing one all with the world champions, France. And I have to say, Neil, after watching this game, sort of still fuming somewhat that England had had drawn 0-0 with Scotland at Wembley, all of a sudden I was feeling a a bit better. Who says football fans are fickle, eh? Yeah, well, do you know what? I I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because... I don't, I, you know, I don't, there's no measure of this, but I just wonder how much you draw or how much Hungary drew or how much footballers in general draw um, extra energy, life, passion from, from the supporters because, you know, um, it seemed as though it was a seething cauldron of of passion in Budapest yesterday. And I just wonder whether or not that, that gave Hungary uh, the extra yard, extra two yards, extra determination you know, when they were faced with a, a, an onslaught late on to sort of see, see over the line. Um, I think I think that's the first thing, really, because, you know, we, we, we become used in these major championships, haven't we, to seeing the stands fall all the time and there'd be a jamboree and colour and passion and everything dripping from the stands. Unfortunately, we've, you know, we've not seen it because of uh, the, the restrictions, but it, it was great to see yesterday. It was like a real... Proper throwback to when football was was football, and um, I, I just thought it was great. You know, you, it just goes to show, really, you, you can't take anything for granted, can you? I mean, you know, we, we've all got our little wall charts out. We've all plotted who we think might be the winners of the, and then you know, uh, Hungary won, France one comes along to throw the throw it all wide open again, and, and, and it's great, really. It's part of the magic of football, isn't it? 
Yeah, most definitely. They were expected to be the, the whipping boys of Group F, weren't they? Hungary, certainly without their, their key man, Dominic Slobosly. But in terms of the opening goal, Warren, was that the, the celebration of the tournament so far? As Neil says, the stadium full and that poor woman sat at the desk. The Hungarian <laughs> players were just terrible. I bet those notes have been prepared all night as well. It makes you fall in love with football all over again doesn't it that whole thing and it still feels weird to see a full stadium i'll say that definitely but you know i think hungry i've gone into this and i think those those scenes i just remember those scenes from icf in the first game that hungary played against portugal and that team in that team in the dressing room if they're getting something like that every single time and knowing that they're playing in front of that crowd it has it brings that sort of second wind or whatever it is whether it's that second wind to recognize that opportunity and attack which they did get and that's why they got the lead or just giving you that extra confidence in in front of your goal which that defensive line had pulling off some absolutely stunning saves and yeah just a great spectacle, probably the best spe- game in terms of a spectacle for Euro 2020 so far in terms of just being an absolute thriller from minute one to 90. Yeah, definitely. High scoring game in Munich, as you say, and then that as well, just before it really did sort of set the day off brilliantly. But as good as it was to kind of see the underdogs with their crowd behind them getting something from the game, Neil, France were completely dominant in it. But Karen Benzema up top, he's been brought back into the fold by Didier Deschamps, but seems to be struggling to to find the back of the net. Olivier Giroud, of course, didn't score during the World Cup, but sort of set that focal point for France to attack around him. I'm just wondering, I know there's been some murmurings of discontent around Olivier Giroud, whether or not France may turn back to him. Yeah, it's a vexed, it's a vexed, it's a vexed, a vexed, sorry, question, guy, really. I mean, isn't it? I mean, uh, it was seen as the final piece of the jigsaw when um, Benzema was named in Didier Deschamps' squad, wasn't it? And um, you know, there's been this overhang of the um, of the rather unsavoury uh, court case that's been going on uh, over in France. Um, I think he would have been helped had he had he scored a goal in the first game, and it would have settled him down. Obviously, yesterday, you know, you'd think that the particularly the chance that um, Mbappe set him up with. That he would have, you know, a striker of his quality would have would have finished it. I mean, obviously he was, you know, we're talking about really fine margins here. I mean, he only just went wider the wider the post. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't see him quite. I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't get at least an hour in the next game, guy. To be honest with you, to try and get that goal um, before they turn to Giroud, just you know, just because it would probably be good to give him um, a run out, but. You know, I think you're try- if you're going to make a statement like bringing him back with all the controversy um, surrounding him, you- you're going to want to give him as much of a chance as possible to settle himself down to get a goal because clearly you don't play up front for Real Madrid for the number of years that Benzema has without having, you know, um, a, uh, a certain degree of, uh, of je ne sais quoi in front of goal. So I don't see him being dropped quite just yet, but every moment that passes by when he's not found the net, the pressure is ramping up on him. Whether that's good for France or not, I'm not exactly sure. And at some stage, Didier Deschamps will have to make a decision on that. Yeah, most definitely. There was also the, the chance before that for Antoine Griezmann, where the, the goal was laying at his mercy and somehow put it at the, the goalkeeper, Galachi, whilst he was led out on the floor. But just in terms of France, Warren, I have to say that every time I watch them, it's just a joy to watch Kylian Mbappe. I don't know if the assist will go down to him, but every time he, he sort of seems to get it, you think something's going to happen. You do, yes. I, I'm, I'm kind of in two minds about Mbappe in this France team at the moment. I mean... When he's on the ball, he's absolutely sensational. You just you know he's going to accelerate away in that after that first touch. I just wonder sometimes he's such a world class player. 
sometimes there's other options available. I mean, when he did some of those flicks, it was amazing. You, you, I mean, just being a perfectionist, you'd love to see it a bit more often from him as well. And I'm sure he'd love to be hitting the target. But what I find quite interesting is that France, we talk about Benzema, we talk about that, but there's such so many options actually for Deschamps in that lineup. You feel like he could go into the Portugal game perhaps with a completely different side and it, they'd still be extremely competitive oh, yeah. against I mean you saw what Dembele did he when he came he just brought that game to life as well, smacking the upright. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So I think yeah, Mbappe, he'll be thinking about how he can tighten up his game, I think, a little bit. But yeah, always a joy to watch that France side. And I I I mean, I've got my little, got my wall chart right here on the A4 version, <laughs> yeah. and I have them going down to the finals, and I'd love to see it, definitely. Yeah, no, most definitely. Don't think many would kind of back against that, but there is certainly some tightening up, as you say, that they can do. So I do certainly need to get their act together. And Neil is, is Spain, another draw for them. Missed a penalty in, in this one as well. And they just don't seem to be anywhere near Spain of old. No, I mean, watching it last night, I mean, I mean it's, um, it's, it's you know, it's tepid, isn't it? It's, it's a bit low risk. There's, there's no, you know, it's a criticism I thought that um, was valid of England on Friday night. They just didn't move the ball quickly enough. There was no zip about the passing. There was no real intent to move it forward. Um, I, I just, I just, um, I just don't really understand what the what the game plan is. They sort of playing, trying to. It appears to me that it's a bit of a throwback to tiki tack without the players who are capable of pulling it off. And in which case, is the is that is that approach really really worthwhile? I mean, you listen, you know, results are the, are the proof of the pudding, aren't they? Really. So um, yeah, I just it was just felt a little bit underwhelmed by Spain, quite frankly, and. To be honest with you, I quite you know the polls are you know lacking a little bit of uh, we're lacking a little bit of star quality, um, but you know they gave it a, a real good go. They, they de- worked desperately hard to get the ball back. They're not as good on the uh, technically on the ball as Spain, but you know they created they created a uh, you know problems for them. And, and I was a bit disappointed. I thought the same old Poland. The minute that Lewandowski, you know, and, and I thought Laporte was he, he taught Laporte a lesson when that, when that ball was coming across. You know, he gave him a lovely little nudge. Nodded it in, and um, I thought that was a real, real quality, real quality finish. But it just seemed to me to be typical Poland in tournament football. They they finally get a break when Lewandowski scores, and then within literally straight from the kickoff, they've conceded that penalty and could have you know undone all the hard work. So yeah, I thought listen, I'm, I'm slightly underwhelmed by Spain, but you know it's the second game in, and again you know the 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 main thing in the is to get out of the group, isn't it? You've just got to get out of the group. It's very difficult to, to write them off, but I don't I don't see them as being major challengers, uh, to be honest with you. I, see, I find it difficult to think they might find a way past one of you know Italy or France playing like the playing playing as playing as they are at the moment. Yeah, and you even Warren, you're no well with your your wall chart there. If England finished second, which we we'll, might chat about in a in a bit, right, and Spain finished second in their group, it could well be England v Spain in the last sixteen. But at the moment, they they just sort of seem to have pieces of a jigsaw that don't fit together. You've got someone like Alvaro Morata, who, albeit didn't shine at Chelsea, but when he was fleetingly good, it was when Cesar Azpilicueta was chipping the ball onto his head, and yet it's a slow, patient build-up. Doesn't seem to suit his game at all. No, it definitely does. He's that guy who you want striding into the penalty box, getting onto that fizzing ball across the pitch. I think I completely agree with Neil. Everything just seems a little bit disjointed at the moment. You feel like I think I've, I heard the term rebuilding 
a couple of times on the uh, broadcast yesterday. And I don't know if that's the right one. You feel maybe you feel like there's almost like this success that Spain had in from 2008 2012 is almost it's starting to hang over this national team a little bit mm-hmm. because it's where the comparisons come. And you just wonder if they just sort of took a fresh mentality towards this thing. But when I the last time I watched Spain. But I watched them for 90 minutes fully was probably that win against Germany and they were so direct so fast in their sort of counter-attacking they invited the pressure from Germany and just went straight back on them. they had the players like Ferran Torres bombing it down the wing and you had like Morata and all sorts of players coming Olmo as well was sensational they can just get back to that where they sort of just have a bit more directness like you say with Espilla Cuesta putting those balls in this place it's probably Jordi Alba who incidentally was probably the most attacking player on the pitch last night for Spain just if they can get back to a bit of that, I think they can get something. And with Slovakia, who admittedly probably haven't had too much of a challenge, but getting that penalty against Sweden, I think that could be the, the the spark to get that ignition and get them charging forward. I think. Yeah, most definitely. Word on on Poland, Neil, as you say, Lewandowski getting himself off the mark. A lot of talk and pressure on him, of course, being their talisman, but. For me, it looked as the game was going on that if it was going to go any way, it was going to end up it being a Poland win. He, he had that charge away in the first half, which to me was like playground football. He seemed to run the ball away from the edge of the penalty area, see the last defender and go, oh no, can't beat him. And then there was the opportunity right at the end where the attack down the right and the ball wasn't played into him quick enough. But he is a real stellar player of quality, isn't he, within this Poland side? Yeah, I think the stat from last night, one of the commentators said it was like 48 goals in 40 games. Was, was it last season? I mean, it was something like that. I mean, it was just a goal a game. I mean, better than the goal a game. I mean, that's that's a phenomenal return. It's just a shame, really. I, I mean, um, I watched a fair bit of Polish football about um, six to eight months ago now because I was uh, having a look at a player for, for somebody. And um, it's quite a technical league, the uh, extra class. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm slightly surprised they've not, they've just not done, they should not be able to produce a player of, uh, with that, like, like I say, with that little uh, X factor. Because Lewandowski, you know, you, you, you know, feed him and he will score. He will score. Um, it, it's a shame really to, to, to lump it all on one man. But that's, that's the fact of the matter, I'm, I'm afraid, with this Poland side. Just yeah. thinking about Lewandowski, I think. He's one of those players, he is probably one of the best strikers in Europe. But for me, that goal was all about his movement in the penalty box. The last time I came on Football Digest, it was the Tottenham uh, Man United, the 3-1 to Man United in North London. And we were talking about Edison Cavani and the way he moved in the box. And it's mm-hmm. just something that these forwards have. He Laporte completely lost him. And by the time the contest started for the ball, Laporte had already lost. I think that's why he, because he just, the movement in the penalty box worked. But it shows that even with, whether you're playing Poland or whether you're playing France, whoever, these top strikers only need one opportunity to strike and they'll find if, if everything works, getting it down that wing, as you said, putting that ball in and you know he's going to be there. I think it makes Poland that sort of, if you if you lose Lewandowski, anything can happen. So, yeah, I'm going to give Poland a little bit of a chance, Neil. Sorry. To this. Yeah, no, no, most definitely. No, Neil, must quickly sort of run past you, being a fount of Midlands football, as you are football knowledge in the Midlands. Jude Bellingham had the record for being the youngest player at the European Championships, but Kasper Kozlovski has, has taken that from him. But there'll be plenty more records for Jude to come, won't there? Yeah, I mean, Kozlovski must be some player if he's, if he's beat Jude, Jude Bellingham's record, blindly. Yeah, I mean, look, um, <clears throat> people at Birmingham City, you know, um, were, were, were raving about him for quite a few years. And, and just before he came on the scene, you know, um, managed to get hold of some clips playing in under-23 football. And 
asked one of the guys, one of the coaches at Birmingham, exactly what it what it was about Bellingham that, that made him stood out, and he just said, "Look, everything he does, he makes look easy. It's like you're not watching a, a 15, 16 year old boy. It's like you're watching a seasoned 24 year old international. He's just, you know, um, you know, he's just so far ahead of the head of the curve. And you know, you speak to." I did an interview with Richard Beale for Sunday Mirror and Sunday People a couple of weeks ago, and who was his former uh, under-23s coach at Birmingham. And he said every time that they tested him, he came up to the mark. He went training with the first team. Some of the first teamers tried to leave a little bit on him. He just got up, accepted it, played on, you know, and if he got a chance to give it some of them back, you know, he he, got, he gave it the mark. And it, and it was just, um, he's just so mature in his terms of his um in terms of his play, in terms of the way he carries himself uh, off, on and off the field. I mean, you know, um, listen, people have said to me, the sky's the limit. And I actually thought Birmingham getting 20-odd million pounds for him was a, I think they got, I think, you know, they get 28 million pounds all told if if he goes on to to uh, win major honours with, with Dortmund and pick up 50 England caps, say. And, and I thought that was a good deal. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think, looking at him now, we should have asked for more, quite frankly. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Right, let's get into today's action then and we'll go to the game in Rome. That's the big one for, for our focus, Warren. Wales heading to Italy, who have scored three goals in each of their games. They'd never done it in European Championships history beforehand. And, well, Wales head to, to Rome, having not won away in Italy since just before Euro 88. And actually, looking at the statistics, Italy... 30 games unbeaten, haven't lost in Rome since 1950. It's going to be an almighty ask. <laughs> the numbers are certainly against them, <laughs> I think. The one thing I'd say that is going in their favour is their ability to sort of... I think you're looking at Bale and Ramsey to get it. I'm sure that's probably what most people would say, but it's that what they showed against Turkey, their ability to just sigh through defences with their passes at times. I think that's the one thing I'd say about it. I'd, I'd struggle to see where their defence has really been properly tested by one of those clinical passes over the last two games. And I think that's what we're... I mean, if Wales can soak up that pressure, try and limit, try and keep Italy within a box and then get the ball out to Aramzi or Bale as soon as they can and they get players like... I think this is where Dan James, with his pace, could really come in strong against the likes of Chiellini and Bonucci. If he can get something there, there could be just that, opp- that Hungaria-esque opportunity <laughs> where they sort of... Hungary-esque opportunity even where they could just strike. But I think it's going to be a case of sort of managing just that pressure. That's going to be very, that barometer is going to be very high. And I'll be spoiled well, I've got the Dale haircut going on. So I'll be yeah. cheering them on. <laughs> well, we, we saw last time in the Euros, obviously what they did against Belgium. You don't write Wales off, but it is going to be a huge ask. They can still top the group with a win, but for my money, Neil, Italy have been the standout team of the tournament so far. And in Manuel Locatelli, you look as though they, uh, they have an absolutely brilliant midfield player. Yeah, absolutely. He's been uh, he's been the standout, hasn't he? And uh, the left back as well. Is it Spinoza? Spinoza. Yeah. Uh, he, he was he's the other one, isn't he? That springs to mind. But just in general, Mancini seems to have um, not fed the Italian players for a week, and uh, they're racing around. Uh, they were racing around after Turkey and Switzerland players, like you know, it was a joint of meat that uh, they hadn't that they hadn't been seeing. That hadn't seen. I, I, I was really impressed with their energy. I, you know. I, I think Robert Page is in a, diffi- a little bit of a difficult position here. Um, if you go back to Euro 2016, uh, there was a feeling in Wales that, you know, they would have done better in the semi-final had Adam Ramsey not been uh, suspended. Uh, obviously, th- there's a couple of players. Kiefer Moore's one, who's on the yellow card. 
and also, um, you know, the fact that Ramsey's been asked to, who's not played a lot of, of games this season, he's been asked to play sort of his third game in seven days as his bail. And, you know, I've just seen a stat this morning that Wales are 99.3% sure of the qualifying now, given the results uh, in, in, you know, in the other groups. So I just think, I'm just wondering what Robert Page, what Robert Page's approach is going to be, you know, whether he risks the lot. I mean, it's a fan, don't, don't get me wrong, Olympic Stadium, Rome, you know, half four, going to be a great atmosphere there. But I just wonder whether or not Robert Page is going to, with what happened in 2016 in mind, he's going to throw all his big guns at it. I mean, or whether or not he might keep one or two of them back and swap and change a little bit with the last 16 in mind. You know, it's a big ask. Obviously, you've just tried out all those stats, guy. You know, they've not, you know, they've not been beaten at home. I don't think in a qualification game since '98. Um, it's it's a really it's a really tough ask for this Wales side. The one thing that Wales have got is they've got a system, and they're quite difficult to break down. I mean, they played a, a warm up match against France, and they they were matching France until um, um, I think it was Ampadu got sent off for a ridiculous uh, for a ridiculous uh, piece of uh, refereeing. And, and obviously, 10 men against France, they then got overrun. But I just wonder whether they've got a system, they've got a shape. And like, and like Warren says, you know, it, it only takes a moment for, um, for, for Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey to conjure up something special. The only other thing I'll add very quickly, and I'll hold this piece of the conversation, is that Ramsey, obviously, I think has got a point to prove to the Italian public and would like to play in this one. So I, I, I just wouldn't, I think Robert Page, what Robert Page may do, he may give Kiefer Moore a rest. Um, and he may just keep um, uh, Ramsey on the pitch for 60 minutes, but he won't really want to jeopardise anything going into that last 16 if Wales have, um, you know, cemented that, as the stats would suggest, it would take a minor miracle now for them not to qualify if there's, you know, any chance of these players not being available going forward because the squad, while it's willing and able and capable, it's not that, um, it's not got that much quality beyond the big boys. No, most definitely. And uh, yeah, just before we sort of run out of time, actually, permutations, as we say, Wales can still top Group A. They play the runners up of Group C, which would most likely be Austria or Ukraine. But as Neil says, given the way it's, it's shaped up so far in Group A, it looks as though Wales pretty much as well, if they don't take an absolute hiding in Rome, may well finish runners up in Group A, which means they'd play the runners up of Group B in the last 16. So that's either Russia, Finland, or Denmark, that group, of course, still very wide open. Before we go then, of course, the other game today is, is Switzerland against Turkey, but we won't spend much time on that. Let's have a quick word on England and uh, looking ahead towards Tuesday. Warren, I'll come to you. Do you think Gareth Southgate's going to ring the changes for this one? It's a dangerous decision, isn't it? Because the way the Czechs have been playing, they're playing like they've got just full of confidence, no fear which makes making the changes a risky thing to do because I think the thing I noticed about the Czechs is that they're, they're going to counter-attack. That's what they've done against... They, they, it was very easy for them against Scotland and then against Croatia. They had a... Well, a very, let's call it an Asian defence, let's say, that they were going up against. It made things quite easy for Patrick Schick. I think the, the changes should come around sort of the midfield attack. I can keep that defence consistent, keep that solid, because uh, I think just cut like, cut the risk in terms of what you're coming up against. But I think to get that bit of creativity when you're going out and attack, that's, I think, definitely what England were lacking against Scotland at Wembley. So I think that's where I'd be looking to make the changes. I think, yeah, Jude Bellingham, I'll, I'll be add to the singing his praises as well. I'd like to see a bit of Sancho in there because, yeah, who doesn't? And, um, yeah, try out something a bit different. Give Dominic Cavalier a chance. This could be a real chance for him, I think, to show something that he can do 
a great present in the penalty box. And yeah, just see what happens. And of course, you've, I think there's a good bit of depth in the England squad. So changes in the midfield, I say, keep that defence consistent. Yeah, off the back of the draw with Scotland as well, Neil, it feels as though England do need to get a win to just try and rejuvenate that momentum as Warren was saying that they need to try and build to take into knockout stages albeit you might face one of those sides from Group F the group of death in the uh, last 16 but they need to build momentum don't they it's not about trying to be clever and plotting your way through if you're not winning then you're not going to progress very far anyway yeah, I mean, it's all very well, you know. I, I don't really understand. I don't really, I've got to be honest, I don't really understand Gareth Southgate's approach to this tournament. You know, we've had, um, you know, I, I, there's only a, there's only about a few minutes left. I mean, I could talk for about 45 minutes, really. But I, I just don't really understand why we're, why we've played, we're playing a system that we've not really worked on or, you know, not really been used in qualification. Um, yes, he worked against Croatia. So, you know, look, you know, you point to the scoreline, any coach points to the scoreline as justification for what they've, what they've played so good luck to him but obviously the, the reverse is true when when results don't go your way uh, I don't really understand uh, the need to change the fullbacks um, uh, quite clearly if you watch the game you know um, you see sometimes see things when you're there that you don't pick up on the screen but I, I challenge anybody who was actually there on the night um, on Friday night against the Scots to say that the axis of Declan Rice and, and Calvin Phillips was working because it it, it wasn't. And, and I'm not apportioning blame on, on any of those two players. It's just that the rotation just didn't seem to be working. Um, and and that, for that reason, I agree with Warren. I, you know, I'd, I'd probably give um, I'd probably give Jude Bellingham a run out because he naturally breaks forward um, and he naturally is a forward-looking player. And, and Rice or Phillips or whatever Gareth chooses could, could couldn't you know he's used to sitting in. Um, so I, I would look to change Bellingham. I may I may look to tinker with the Mason Mason Mount. I didn't think he had his best game against the Scots. Uh, and, and like Warren again, you know, Jaden Sancho takes the ball at defenders with pace. He commits people. He commits people in a different way to Jack Grealish. Grealish sort of takes it up to them, does a bit of fleet of foot trickery, and then sort of skirts around the outside or inside with a with a sort of like half a yard of pace that he uh, half a yard of space rather that he generates. So I, I'd like to see Gareth try one or two things out and let, and let everybody and uh, you know and. and, and like you say, I think the Czechs will sit back and wonder what England have got to offer them. Again, the whole thing would change with an early England goal. You know, I think it would lift the pressure again, you know, and get get the country on the front foot. And it would, it would stop, it would prevent the Czechs doing what they've done, certainly in the first game against Scotland, where they played on the played on the counter. And it would mean that they'd have to come out if they, uh, you know, if they wanted to get something meaningful from the game. Yeah, most definitely. Well, that's all we've got time for today here on this edition of the Euro Digest. From myself, Guy Clark, Neil Moxley and Warren Muggleton, thanks for your time and your company. 